if you choose one religion, that is easier for society to understand. If, if I go out and I say I'm Jewish, people think they understand what that is and they don't question it at first. If I go out and say I'm interfaith, I immediately get pushback. So if you're going to raise kids with both religions, one of the drawbacks is that society, sometimes religious institutions, sometimes clergy, will push back and say, well, you can't be both, you have to choose. And so that actually creates a benefit in that those children are kind of forced to be able to articulate their identities and what is positive about being an interfaith kid from an early age. And so in defending themselves, they have to think more deeply about that identity and how they're going to defend it. Welcome back to the Array of Faith podcast. We are so glad you're here. I'm your host, Jay Dana Trent. I'm here with our producer, Goravani Das, and we are welcoming today a very special guest, Susan Katz Miller. Susan Katz Miller is both an interfaith child and an interfaith parent. She is also the author of Being Both, Embracing Two Religions in One Interfaith Family. A former Newsweek reporter, her work has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and dozens of other publications. She's appeared on the Today Show, CBS, PBS, NPR, at the Parliament of World Religions, Wild Goose Festival, Unitarian Universalist General Assembly, Harvard Divinity School, Union Theological Seminary, and at many, many colleges, universities, churches, and synagogues across the country. Susan, we are so glad you're here. Welcome to Array of Faith. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your time. And what's fun for us is that our Wake Tech students don't necessarily know this, but you and I have known each other virtually for years. Um, I think going on, you know, at least eight, nine, 10 years. And so we've never met in person, but we've had a, a lovely virtual relationship that now extends <laughs> into the podcast. So it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you. Yes, uh, I'm so glad to be part of this, and I'm really, really happy that you're including my perspectives in this podcast. Absolutely, and the students will be enriched for it. And speaking of your specific perspective, um, you know, interfaith is a word that's used a lot in your work and in your bio. And so for our Wake Tech World Religions students, I would love it if you could just give a bit of a background of what that word means to you, interfaith. So to me, interfaith is about the relationship between more than one faith, and that can happen on all kinds of levels. So you can have, say, an interfaith community service event where you have Christians and Jews and Buddhists and Hindus working together, maybe packing food for distribution. And they engage with each other over the work that they're doing together. Or you could have interfaith dialogue where people from different religions are 
speaking together on, say, a topic. For me, a lot of what I work on is the more intimate level of interfaith families, where you have more than one religion represented in your heritage. And this is something that I was born to do because I was born into an interfaith family. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm so glad you said more than one faith in your heritage, because I know our students' ears perked up at that, because many of our students are in that category. And so they're going to really appreciate hearing your story and your perspective. And we're going to launch right into it. So describe your current religious slash spiritual perspective and your current practice for us. So I am Jewish because my parents who were an interfaith couple decided that they were going to choose Judaism for their children. So that's the way I was raised. But in adulthood, I really claimed my interfaith identity. It became important to me that I was from an interfaith family and I connected to the idea that that is something that's enriching and stimulates deep thought and creativity. So I don't see being from an interfaith family as problematic as much as I see it as inspiring. So I talk a lot about the idea that people with interfaith heritage often have a kind of a flexible or fluid identity where at different times you may draw on different parts of your religious heritage. So for instance, when I encounter anti-Semitism, I'm very quick to say, hey, I'm Jewish and whatever you just said is problematic and here's why and here's the history and <laughs> here's how I feel about it. And I raised my children to do the same, even though they only have one Jewish grandparent out of their four grandparents. Uh, but at other times, I will kind of lead with my interfaith identity, that that is something that I am proud of and that I have spent most of my professional life working on that idea of claiming interfaith identity as something positive. But I do draw on both Christianity and Judaism in my practices, in my beliefs. And as a family, we go to church at times, we go to synagogue at times, and we also seek out other interfaith families. There's something very special about being with other people who understand um, kind of the creative tension of drawing on more than one religion. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I really hope that students really heard you when you said, you know, you have multiple faith identities, you, you lead with various identities, you claim both identities, and that you draw on both sets of practices and beliefs. And that you, as you, um, you know, move, move forward in your life, you claim more and more of, of your heritage on both sides. And I hope for our students, that's an especially encouraging word, because so many times in our world religion 
Women's class, students feel very conflicted if they're coming from interfaith families. Um, and they feel conflicted because they, they feel like they've got to make a choice between one or the other. And so for them, you know, heritage is something that's really shaped their faith and impacted their faith. And so how have the themes of heritage, identity, community, sacred texts, um, history and culture, life experience, how have those shaped your faith? Well, um, I think my parents made a good choice to choose one religion and raise Jewish children. I talk about the fact that any choice a family makes, whether it's one religion or both, or all religions or no religions, any of those choices can work. Uh, they each have benefits and they each have challenges or drawbacks. So none of the choices that parents make for their children are going to erase the interfaithness of those children because children know that they have that multiple religious heritage. And they know that they have, for instance, aunts and uncles and cousins of more than one religion. And those are formative relationships. Even if the parents have chosen one religion for the child, you're still going to have formative experiences with your extended family. So for me, all of that is something to celebrate. It, um, it helps to create a higher level of interfaith education for those children, that they are a little bit religiously bilingual, that they have comfort level with more than one religion, even if they're given a single faith identity by the parents. Um, the other thing that I've experienced and that people need to remember is that no matter what religion you might choose for your children, they will grow up and make their own decisions. So each of us, no matter whether we come from a, what I call a monofaith family or an interfaith family, we each grow up and we decide what we want to believe, what we want to practice. We might find a partner of a different religion. We might encounter a mentor or a clergy person of another religion who becomes formative in our lives. We're all on these spiritual journeys and none of us end up one thing or another thing until the day we die because we're all changing, we shift. And you know, researchers, Pew Research is the major research institute of religion in America. They've documented that people are leaving religions, they're changing religions, they're rejoining their religions. And all of that is not because of interfaith marriage. That's just the way we kind of do religion in America. Susan, you mentioned that um, the choice that parents make, whether to raise their children in a single faith or in an interfaith situation has its, uh, both either choice has its benefits and drawbacks. Do you mind sharing what, the, what you think those benefits and drawbacks might be? Sure. Um, it really changes depending on which two religions you're talking about. 
um, actually more and more, there are families that have three religions in their heritage. So it's getting more complicated as we go along. And to me, that's exciting and that's enriching. Um, so you might have one partner who comes from a Christian and Jewish interfaith family, and the other partner might come from a Muslim and Hindu interfaith family. And those children are going to have four religions in their heritage. And this is kind of, we're heading into what I call interfaith next generation. Um, but for benefits and drawbacks, I mean, if you choose one religion, that is easier for society to understand. If, if I go out and I say I'm Jewish, people think they understand what that is and they don't question it at first. If I go out and say I'm interfaith, I immediately get pushback. So if you're going to raise kids with both religions, one of the drawbacks is that society, sometimes religious institutions, sometimes clergy will push back and say, well, you can't be both, you have to choose. And so that actually creates a benefit in that those children are kind of forced to be able to articulate their identities and what is positive about being an interfaith kid from an early age. And so in defending themselves, they have to think more deeply about that identity and how they're going to defend it. But I also talk about the idea that people with multiple religious heritage often end up having to explain themselves to others, no matter what, which choice the parents have made for them. So I can say I'm Jewish and I also will get pushback when people discover that I'm from an interfaith family, they will question me and say, well, are you really, which parent is Jewish? How Jewish are you? Did you have a bat mitzvah? You know, you get all this questioning if you're an interfaith kid, no matter what choice your parents have made. Wow. Wow. Thank you, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you've used a lot of terms too, that I know will resonate with our students in terms of flexibility, fluidity, uh, a bilingual way of moving um, about the world. And I really appreciate your, your honesty with regard to the benefits and, and the drawbacks, because it, it takes a lot of strength to, to move, move in the world as an interfaith child. And I hope our, our students are really hearing that from you, but, and also hearing hearing that it inspires you and it excites you, especially as you're thinking about what you're calling um, interfaith next generation, which leads us right into our next question. And that is, you know, I'm going to add a bit to this question, but how is your faith journey different from your ancestors and your peers? And how's it similar? And then maybe let's push it, you know, out into the future how do you think, you know, future faith is going to look for our Wake Tech students and, and for you and your family? So in each generation in the United States, we are becoming more complex in our identities. Um, it, this used to be a, essentially a Christian country. And now we have a lot more religious identities we have a fast growing secular component of the country where people are not practicing religion at all. And there's one in five 
adults now are growing up in an interfaith family. That's how common it has become. So this is having an effect. To me, it's an exciting effect. It's an enriching effect. I do like to use those positive terms. Um, another positive term I like to use is interfaith ambassador. When you come from a family with more than one religion, you are called on to explain one religion to the other side of your family and vice versa. So you are acting as an interfaith educator, as an interfaith ambassador. And I think as more of us, more and more of us are from those families, it is kind of creating a, a network of people who have had this benefit of thinking about more than one religion from the start of their lives um, in their education, who are open in that way um, to thinking about more than one religion being valid, more than one religion being valuable. And I think that that increases um, peace building. I really do think that it has an effect on the world uh, that will reduce religiously incited intolerance and violence. So I'm excited about where we're heading together. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I love that. It's empowering to think of, of you as an interfaith ambassador and to think of our students as interfaith ambassadors, because one of the, the words that they, they, that they hold on to every semester that they learn in the first chapter of their textbook is empathy. And so when they, when they learn about empathy and how to move in the world with a more empathetic lens, especially if they're coming from interfaith families, they are empowered and strengthened and they have the tools they need to be ambassadors and to do the advocacy work that you're doing, you know, to build bridges, to do the peacemaking work. And that's really, that's what excites me most about your, your books and your work and the excitement that you bring to, to this interview and to all your interviews, because it's really hopeful for our students. And I think so many times they see, they see being a part of multiple identities in their families as a strain and a struggle rather than a strength. And so I'm really glad you, you named that. And I know Fred has a follow-up question. Susan, I'd, I'd like to ask a question that I heard asked of a gentleman um, who was an expert on Judaism and Hinduism. And he was asked, um, what is the one thing you wish the Hindus understood uh, about Judaism and vice versa? What is the one thing you wish that the Jewish people understood better about Hindus? So how would you, how would you answer that question from, from your own perspective regarding uh, Christianity and, and Judaism? Um, I wish that more Jewish people had education about Christianity and about Jesus, because our situation in the United States is that religion is not taught for the most part in public schools. And that's because of separation of church and state, and there's good reasons for that. But the problem is we do grow up then kind of ignorant of each other's religion. And 
there's an assumption that because the United States has been Christian majority, that everybody will learn about Christianity through osmosis. But we don't really. I mean, through osmosis, we get Christmas trees in the mall and um, Christmas carols, but we don't really learn about the life of Jesus, who was an inspirational figure and a Jewish inspirational figure. And there's a lot of fear, I think, in the Jewish world about um, even talking about that because there's been a history of forced conversion and, you know, a lot of very violent conflict through time between Jews and Christians, partly over um, conversion. Um, but that's not really a reason at this point in 2021 not to learn some of the beauty of, of uh, you know, Jesus's words and thoughts. And there are leading Jewish scholars who study Jesus and the New Testament. Amy Jill Levine is a famous one. I'm sure you know about her. Um, but there's an idea that rank and file, kind of like average Jewish kids shouldn't learn that stuff. But I would argue that they should learn that stuff because Christianity has had a huge effect on our politics, on our literature, on our culture in the United States. And there's no reason not to be enriched by learning about it. In terms of what Christians, I wish they would learn more about um, in terms of Judaism. I have to say there is a really shocking study that came out recently that showed the number of people who don't believe that the Holocaust happened or are not aware of what it was. They simply don't even know about it. And, and that's um, a tragic condition if we have forgotten that history. And I think um, it should be in all American educational systems in history. You know, when we learn European history, we should learn about the Holocaust, but often that doesn't happen until high school and then it might be an elective course and it just somehow isn't getting through. And unfortunately, I think there is a lot of false information on the internet that gets out there. And so it's important to counter that with real education about the tragic loss of 6 million Jewish lives in World War II. Thank you. Very, very well said. And, you know, World Religions is an elective at Wake Tech, but when students take it, we, we cover the Holocaust. We talk about um, the Holocaust Museum in D.C. and several students have, have been on field trips, you know, during high school. And, and students are very, um, they are keen and they want to make it a priority to learn about the Holocaust because they see the effects of not learning about it and they see the effects 
of not knowing um, what hatred and prejudice and racism historically, um, what can happen in terms of genocide. And so I'm grateful that our Wake Tech students are very open to continuing their education about the Holocaust. And I really also appreciate your saying um, about the, the teachings of the historical Jesus and Jesus also as an inspirational figure, that those are also, that's a key point of learning in both traditions. So thank you. Thank you for bringing both of those up. I, I appreciate it. And you have enriched our students and helped them dig even deeper. Um, I'm sure they'll go back into their chapters and and, and read more. And you, you just, you are an inspiration, Susan. I just, I hope that you know that as your interfaith <laughs> advocacy, it's true. It's your interfaith advocacy is unmatched. Um, you, you are the only person I know doing what you're doing and doing it steadily and, you know, year after year after year. And so you are greatly appreciated. You're certainly, you know, our guru and expert when it comes to all things <laughs> interfaith. So we're grateful for you. Well, I'm excited that there's a generation coming up that your students from uh, interfaith families who have that multiple religious heritage are going to be leading and going to be creating these new narratives where um, our, we can tell our stories and we can create our own tables instead of sort of begging for a seat at the table. And um, you see this beginning to happen now. Our new vice president, Kamala Harris, is from, of course, a Christian and Hindu family, and then married a Jewish man. So they have three religions in their family. And she's very open about that, doesn't talk about it as a problem. Um, and more and more, we're seeing leaders in politics, in the arts, in literature, telling these interfaith family stories. So I'm excited. We are too. We are too. And and you're, you're adding to the literature, as they say, in real time, in real life. And so thank you. Thank you for also um, for, for helping us understand what it means to be interfaith and looking at these various angles and, and teaching us that it's okay to be flexible and fluid and to embrace our, our, our multiple heritage. So thank you so much, Susan, for being with us on Array of Faith. We are delighted to have you. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to Array of Faith. Until next time, be good to one another. <laughs>